Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I bring you some of the greatest talent in the Central Florida arts community. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show, episode by episode. Hey guys, welcome back to another show. Thank you so much for downloading and pressing play. I've got a great show for you this week. My guest is John Pelkey. John is an actor, a musical theater guy, a funny guy, an improviser, as well as being a sports commentator and a fellow podcaster. We talk about that in the Getting to Know You section. And if you check out the show notes, you can find information about his show and his podcast. This week, John and I watched Season 5, Episode 17, called A Death in the Family. And the original air date was February 1st of 1984. I think we're ready to jump on in. Let's face the facts with John Pelkey. Well, John Pelkey, finally, I get you on the show. We talked about this a long time ago, and, uh, and now I'm here and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, very long time ago. I've had your lovely wife, Ms. Jody Chase, on the show. And even that is becoming a distant memory here. So I need to get her back. But it would have been rude to invite her back before I got you here. So <laughs> I um, did go back and I re-listened to her episode. Uh-huh. Because I, I, she's the talent in the family. So I'm like, oh, God, get, <laughs> I, 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 I got to listen. I got to know where the bar is set for this. <laughs> and then you, you gave her copious notes afterwards, like oh, well, Fred yeah, Willard well, and... Yes, which uh, humorously that you mentioned that for Theater South here, we did a we did a reading of uh, Guffman and we Jody and I played the Fred Willard uh, and uh, Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, we played those. Roles. Oh, my God. I know. That's, ah! It was great. It was so much fun to do that. Oh, that you want us to strike this? We, we've done shows before. We know all the all the lingo. I mean, it's just <laughs> classic. John Pelkey, The Facts of Life. It's funny because the year that it came out, I was 15. So mm -hmm. I'm a 15-year-old boy. So I'm right on the edge of what, you know, the, the viewing public that they were shooting for was, they, you know, for my demographic. But I had watched Different Strokes. My mother loved Gary Coleman. Mm -hmm. I, the exploitation of poor Gary Coleman. Another story oh. for another time. <laughs> yes. um, but uh, so I sort of followed, I followed over into the first couple of seasons of Facts of Life, um, mainly because I had a huge crush on Lisa Welchel from uh, the New Mouseketeers. Um, so I, uh, I, I, I sat, I watched the first bizarre season. So it's interesting that you did watch the show as a heterosexual boy because you were crushing on Blair. Yes. And I, I watched it as a gay boy just because I was identifying with all the girls and uh, particularly Natalie. Uh, do you remember this particular episode? Did you watch it or see it in its initial No, run? and this falls, it's interesting because this falls kind of right in the middle of the, the whole run. It's the hump year, I think. Um, by this time, I was older, had a car, was working. So mm -hmm. less and less was I watching. There's a period of network television from when I was about 20 to when I was in college in Gainesville, through like 1989 where I didn't see a lot because I was out and about. And according yeah. to college, I was just dirt poor and I didn't have a VCR, so I couldn't take <laughs> it. So I couldn't record anything. 
mainly at that point, I was working. I took a year off of college and, and, and worked for a drywall company. And at that point, I was an only child and an only grandchild and raised to be really, really independent. So oh. for me, at that, at, at that point, it was about, you know, what do I want to do tonight? What is my social life? And then, of course, I was trying to find a girlfriend and swinging and missing constantly <laughs> in that. Um, but uh, yeah, so my facts of life knowledge goes back to those first couple of couple or three seasons. The, the one thing I will say about this is that this episode was, most of those sitcoms back in the day, the Brady Bunch and all of those that, that, that I watched when, mm-hmm. when I was uh, younger, you know, everything was neatly wrapped up in the 22 minutes that, that, that they had to do it. And uh, this obviously story uh, is one that's going to carry over because the character, the character arc isn't really finished yet, particularly Correct. for Natalie. Um, and, uh, you know, if you remember, I'm sure you do, usually those, anything that was a multi-episode uh, uh, story was just a, those were the special you know, mm-hmm. part one, part two thing. So it, yes. it is kind of, it's interesting. And I haven't watched episode 18 and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do, I have to do it now. Um, <laughs> it's interesting that there is going to be from, cause I read the synopsis, there is going to be carryover with, uh, with Natalie's story. Yes. Which I think I, it's really cool. I discovered the same thing when I was preparing for my next guest and the next episode I'm going to record, I was like, what title is? And I looked and I see as Natalie is still coping with the death of her father. I was like, whoa, 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 what? So just before I got on the horn with you now, I got about halfway through because I was like, they really, I wanted to refresh myself. This really could have, should have been a two-parter. Really. It is very interesting and not typical for them to carry over right. something that big, that right. a significant part of the next episode is Natalie dealing with the death. And um, that's, yeah, that's very unusual and surprising. We'll yeah, because normally, it it's funny, you go back, and normally they would have a, an episode that was of uh, one of those shows, and it was, it, it was a you know, a, a, a big story for that episode for a character, oh. and then it would never be referenced again yeah. Even if oh, it yeah. wasn't wrapped up tightly, if it was a, you know, uh, just a, well, this is a Greg. Now, what have you learned sort of uh, for Brady Bunch? You, you, you never uh, referenced it again. And I like the idea that they're starting to learn that these multi-episode storylines mm-hmm. are what keep people coming back. Mm-hmm. To, to, yes. a, to, a, uh, to a series. You are already doing what I love to do every week, John, which is to rewrite the show, putting together a, a list of notes, because we are going to be sending some notes back to the writers That's in my time machine as soon as one is invented <laughs> to fix all this to our liking. And as you were talking about the it, referencing the callbacks and the foundation and references and all that, uh, this is the perfect time for me to say, let's get some business out of the way because this is season five, episode 17, a death in the family. The original air date was February 1st of 1984. It was directed by Asad Kalada. He is the one who did most of the episodes Uh, all of them last season and just about all of them in this season. So he's their in-house director and it was written by Linda Marsh and Margie Peters. They are the ones that they brought in to, for all intents and purposes, fix the show between seasons one and two. 
they were the ones that said, there's too many girls. We need to bring in a tomboy to be a counterpoint to Blair. We need to simplify. And, uh, and by all accounts, they did. The show would not have been able to work, continuing the path that was going down. And whenever they write a show, I'm noticing this trend. And even though we know it's turned over to the writers in the writer's room, and it's a group effort, the scripts that they seem to be in charge of, they're always the scripts that do have references back to other things that they remember, because often they're the ones that wrote it. There are many little, teeny tiny little nuggets throughout where you're like, yep, that, that tracks, that absolutely tracks, uh, to the point where you wonder if they were the only people who kept and or referenced any sort of show Bible. Yeah. Yes. So let's get right to uh, the next part, which if you have already done your research, John, you know that I am now going to ask you, my beloved guest, if you would give me a one to two sentence synopsis of the entire episode, like a listing you might find in a TV guide. Um, as the girls are planning a float for the big fall festival or, or, or whatever it is. Uh, um, the, the Founders Day Parade. The Founders Day Parade. Sorry about that. The uh, <laughs> Blair was the fall festival queen three years running. That's, I remember that. Yes, she that. was. And don't you uh, fucking forget it. As they're, as they're preparing, um, Natalie gets some horrible news that changes everything. Nice. And I love that 99.9% of my guests are actors. And the one consistent thing throughout is that nobody wants to spoil. No, there are right. always, it's, it's always- It's an elevator wanna, pitch without the spoil. Yeah. It's like, I want to create intrigue, interest, and not have there be a spoiler. Right. Uh, so I will piggyback that perfect synopsis by fucking it up and saying, yeah, this is the episode where Natalie's father dies. Yes. And um, so, yeah, and, and therefore that absolutely puts it in the, in the realm of the very special episodes as the Facts of Life continues to navigate the, the rites of passage of these young women now. Uh, this is spot on among four girls. This is a thing that can happen when you're a teenager. At this point, uh, Natalie is 17, though... Here is an issue with the show Bible situation is that uh, last season they de-aged Natalie and Tootie by a year. So we have to unfortunately follow the show's lead and say that uh, Natalie is a 16-year-old girl losing her parent. Uh, not, not common, but not uncommon. That no, happens. not at all. And that is certainly uh, a nice thing if they wanted to say this show was still taking on quote unquote issues that's uh that's an issue you can certainly explore so uh bravo to them for for taking it on they do a really nice job exploring uh the uncomfortable nature of something like that for yes. everyone involved mm -hmm. it, precisely not just the person but the friends and and yes yes we're going to get into all of that so um, I will point out that the version I sent you and the version that mostly would be seen by my tens of listeners on this show is the 22-minute syndicated version. If you watch the DVDs, it is a 25-minute fuller episode. So I will be pointing out some things that are missing from what you watched, John. It's not a lot. It's nothing too significant. And I'm going to start off and go on record saying... Uh, 
they, they, they start the episode in the girl's bedroom and the sitcom structure is always some type of dismissible banter before someone walks in to say, I am starting the actual plot of the show now. So the dismissible banter here is Blair is throwing away some of her makeup and Joe says, no, don't throw that away. I can use that eyeliner to cover a scratch on my leather boot. <laughs> and it's, ugh. and a very common thing is cut that off in the syndicated version. You need to save time. You could get rid of that. In which case, Mrs. Garrett then walks into the room and says, she's so happy because she has arranged for them to have a float for Edna's edibles in the Founders Day Parade. And so it's like, oh, okay, this is the beginning of the real plot. Joe hates parades. Blair loves parades. So they're trying to brainstorm. Maybe we could make baked goods out of flowers. Joe's like, how are we gonna afford this? And then Natalie comes up with the brilliant idea of why don't we make flowers out of baked goods? Oh my God. And how about we have a float queen, like a, a Miss, Miss, and Mrs. Garrett goes, Miss Edibles. And you would think she had just split the fucking atom. You would think she had reached the top of Mount Everest with the elation and delight over the creative genius of naming the Harvest Queen equivalent for Edna's Edibles to be called Miss Edibles. I think I think we need to take a breath to, to to drink in all of that creativity. And then it comes down to, well, no, 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 this is going to be a contest. Why don't we have the the customers of the store vote for Miss Edibles? And this is really setting up a super duper traditional sitcom thing where you're like, oh, and Blair assumes she's going to win because she's been Harvest Queen three times. And don't you fucking forget it. And <laughs> when it and you're like, oh, someone else is going to win. Blair is going to be knocked down a few pegs. Right. La la la. And then the phone rings, and it's like we interrupt this shitty sitcom in progress to bring you the death of Natalie's father. Right. And I, I really got to give it props because I have to admit I wasn't that excited about that other show that they were going to be given us. No, I, you know, you project when you're watching something like that. And I think particularly those of us who are performers and maybe have writing backgrounds and stuff, you project where it's going. And I just keep thinking, okay, so they make everything out of baked goods and then a colony of feral cats, maybe because my wife is a pet rescuer, gets and eats the entire thing or somebody's <laughs> dog uh, or something like that. And then, of course, you know, Blair's going to lose to either uh, Joe or Natalie. And, um, and a parade float. A parade yes. float is a big thing. Yeah. Do you think chicken wire with tissue paper stuffed in each hole to look like, you know, fluffy flowers and whatever? It's like they were planning to bake edible things. Enough of it that people could ride on this float. Multiple people riding on this float. So you're yes. literally going to have to bake like you're baking for about 700 people. Well, so clearly... Precisely. Clearly, you're going to do this with no budget and just, you know, while also running a business. Sure. The only thing I can say is it is wintertime, supposedly. So uh, I guess they would keep kind of sort of. So then we go to the bedroom again, the next scene. By the way, because we're, we have some new sets in this episode, we never get Edna's edibles. We never get any other part of the house other than the bedroom. In right. this. So we're still in the bedroom. Cut from syndication is just some extra uh, silliness of Tootie being really 
uh, overly concerned with how she looks. And I think the look is wrong. Maybe I should wear another dress. And I hate how my hair came out today. And it's beginning this whole thing that will play out of Tootie being insanely uncomfortable with what is going to be expected of her at this funeral for her best friend's dad. And honestly, we've all been there. Yeah. It's yeah, they. Not the I, I don't think they did Kim Kim Fields any any uh, uh, any favors because they had it so heightened at a point that it almost became. I, I looked at it and I said, "Okay, somebody would have calmed her down a little bit at this point." Yeah, because uh, there's a lot of like loud yelling about things in this that 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 are a little incongruous in my mind. We we've addressed that that we're going through a weird phase with Kim Fields where she is acting for the balcony of the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. When she doesn't have to. And there's more of it coming up in the next episode. So this is because she has to do a lot of quote unquote emoting Mm -hmm. in this episode. There is quite a bit of that going on. So in in this deleted material, we do have Tootie saying specifically, she's never been to a funeral before. I remember my first funeral. I remember the whole thing of my family wasn't religious. It's like, are we going to have to kneel before a coffin? And uh, we, we, if you follow the show, you know this, but we do learn later, Natalie's family is Jewish. What does that entail going to, I think I still to this day have never been to a Jewish funeral. I don't even know what that would entail. So it's, um, it's certainly, that's like a, a secondary uh, thing you can lock into in the episode is not just the devastation of losing a family member, but it's also being on the outskirts saying, ah, what, what do I do? What is it expected of me to be right. a support system to what is going on here? So um, I, I did like that, even though, as we said, some of the acting is a little bit um, magnified. Mm. So before we leave this scene, uh, we do have a show Bible moment. I'm going to call it that show Bible moments where Ms. Marsh and Ms. Peters, we give you uh, props for writing wins. And the writing win here is, uh, as Tootie says, it's not fair. Parents are supposed to get old. They're not supposed to die until you can handle it. And Blair responds by saying, you know, a couple of years ago when I thought that I might lose my mother, dot, dot, dot. I don't even remember what she says after that because I was too busy having an orgasm because yes, it was two seasons ago. We had the episode a friend indeed where Blair's mother was diagnosed with breast cancer and she wasn't sure if she had it in her to fight the fight Mm. and whether she could deal with in the eighties, the stigma of possibly a mastectomy of having to go through chemo radiation and all that it was so different back then so the fact that that was just casually touched upon when i thought i was going to lose my mother a couple of years ago uh that was lovely i was so happy that that was bringing some integrity to blair's uh story yeah and i i I like the fact of that too because it, it 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 illustrated the you know whereas um tootie had not been to a funeral that that might be uncommon for someone 16 years of age to never have attended any sort of funeral, like a mm-hmm. grandparent's funeral or something like that. So to set it up so, you know, let, let, let's remind you that we're not all going through, we don't all navigate these things in the same way because we have a different backstory. Yes. Mm-hmm. So well and done out of them. So yes, good on them. <laughs> and uh, next we move on to, oh, 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 and the other thing that's revealed is 
Mrs. Garrett has gone ahead with Natalie. So she's being the support system. She's gone ahead to be with Natalie. And Bates, the question I've said a million times, who's watching the store? Stretches stretches my ability to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to believe. Just a little. Yeah. If only they had brought back Mr. Lazzaroni. If they had just said, thank God Mr. Lazzaroni's here to watch the store. <laughs> Mr. Lazzaroni is my favorite character that we will never see again. Oh, so sad. We'll, we'll talk more about him later. Uh, so then the next scene we move on to Natalie's mother's house, Natalie's house, her parents' place, which I've gathered is, I think it's an apartment. It's an apartment in a nice high rise in, in Manhattan. Right. It is funeral, post-funeral stuff. And we have brought back the people who should have been brought back. As in, we have Mitzi Hogue, playing Natalie's mother, returning. We have Molly Pecan as her grandmother, as Mona. The legendary Molly Pecan. Exactly. I'm glad you know that. Not many people understand what a figurehead she is. And so this is, we had already speculated that because of the way Molly had been presented to us before, we're like, we think that it's the dad's mother that versus the mother's mother. That wasn't clear when we first met uh, Mona. But mm-hmm. now it is absolutely locked in it's like oh this is her and this is her son natalie's dad who has died edna is doing what edna does best waiting on people putting platters casseroles down on the buffet and they do say oh edna you have um you've been a godsend so then in come the girls and tootie is still on this what am i gonna say i said it at the funeral uh just more awkwardness Uh, They do lovely, you know, hugging, kissing on the cheek. Natalie is playing that beautifully, almost mechanical. It was a lovely service, wasn't it? We're really glad. We thought it was going to rain. And it was just a little short interaction. She walks away and it's like, I'm worried about her. Right. And it's like, yeah, her her dad just died. And after your dad dies. Four days ago. Yeah. 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 And when someone dies, you suddenly have to become a... the unwilling hostess to the worst party you ever have to throw. It's for, for people who don't deal with that. It was, um, it's, it's not easy. It it asks not just dealing with the death. It asks so many people to access a skill set that they may or may not even have. Yeah. So it's just, it's like, girls chill the fuck out. It's the day of the funeral. Yeah. I, that, and that, that was when I was struck by the, the, poor Kim Fields and they have her just so over the top. It's like, you know, at some point somebody's going to take her aside yeah. and say, you know, let's, let's rip. It's not about you necessarily. Th- thank it's you. Just, it's just be, uh, you know, just be there for your friend. That's yes. it. Um, you know, don't go into histrionics about all of this because it's, it's, it's largely inappropriate <laughs> and it just, it's, it's going to exacerbate the situation. But I thought all, uh, uh, the mom, grandma, and, uh, and and Natalie all played that very well, that sort of just, we are maintaining mm. an even strain, to quote the right stuff. And that's where we're going to stay throughout all of this. Though I thought Mitzi Hogue has some really interesting stuff that she does a little bit later, but we'll talk about that. Yes. That part. Yes, indeed. Um, so the other nice thing that the episode does here is where they actually explain that it is, oh God, do they call it a Shiva house? Is that the actual wording? Uh, yeah, it's, I believe it's a Shiva house, but they're sitting Shiva. 
they're sitting Shiva, which is the Jewish custom of mourning, and they go through some of the stuff, which is, again, show Bible moment. Yes, Natalie is Jewish. We have addressed that before. So if you have a funeral, there better not be a fucking mirror on the set that doesn't have something covering it. And they did, they did quote unquote, cover that. Um, and we get a great Blair moment. Yep. I'm in a house without mirrors. Yeah, Perfect. absolutely. I thought they did a really nice job dropping some comedy in in those moments. I thought that really worked when when they're in line to just, you know, to say we're sorry. And uh, Joe tells uh, Tootie, just listen to what the person in front of you says and say the, say the same thing. And the mm-hmm. and the actor does a, a whole thing about uh, uh, I'm going to miss him as a golf partner. There's this yeah. golf joke. And there's that little slow burn from Tootie like, OK, wow, you got any other great advice? So yeah. he did a nice job dropping some really funny comedy into uh, these serious moments. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. And um, Natalie comes back again in the back and forth. And she's like, this is so weird. It's almost like a party. It's like he just went to the store for ice and he's going to be back any minute. And then she leaves. And then we get the once again, I'm worried about her. So am I. Long Pinterest Thornton Wilder pause as we slowly fade to black. Oh my! It's 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 like uh, Twin Peaks or something. There's this <laughs> moment, and you're just you're like, oh God, please cut to get a cup. Isn't there a Burger King commercial that's going to come on now? Because yeah. this is would the stage manager walk on and say, "Well, Natalie's father's certainly dead." There was no question about that, but were her friendships dead? Well, we're going to find out about that awfully soon. Uh, <laughs> that's where Mr. Lazzaroni could have come in. Oh, See, shit. there it is. You should do you have know been what I'm talking about? Yes. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Mr. I got to look back and I started, I looked back to the, the earlier seasons. And Two stuff. episodes yes. and I'm like, why didn't they make him a, a semi-regular? Why didn't they have him just popping in and out? Because I say he's like a Stephen King character. Is yep, I'm working over at the funeral home now. Um, so then while we're at commercial, John, this is the time I like to get to know my guests and do a little bit of an interview. All right. I know actors typically don't like talking about themselves. I know I certainly don't. But uh, if you would please indulge me, John, yes. where were you born? Uh, Arlington, Virginia. I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. Uh-huh. And uh, grew up there and moved to Florida when I was 21. Okay. And what precipitated that move? Was it school? Or- uh, n- actually, no. I was, uh, I was in college. It was George Mason uh, at the time in Northern Virginia. And my, my father retired. He worked um, uh, for the government, worked at the White House for 27 years oh. as an electrician. And uh, he retired. And my parents moved to Florida. As you know, that's the law up north. Once you retire, <laughs> yes. you can move to Florida. My parents did too, yes. Yeah. Um, and I had lived my whole life in the DC area. I was 21. And I said, I told you earlier, I dropped out of college for a year to work. And I, I just wanted to pay my own way through largely. And I mm-hmm. wanted to be independent. I didn't want to be beholden even to my folks. And um, so I thought, gosh, you know what? I'd like to see something different. And I knew one person going to the University of Florida. I didn't know anybody at Florida State. So I ended up in Gainesville. Oh, <laughs> that course. was it. That that was it. Yeah, I just I felt like I needed to see something different. Um, and, and, and and best decision I ever made. 
And what did you uh, end up getting your degree in? What did you study? I did not. uh, I'm not, I'm not hung up on this completion thing. Um, No, I didn't. I had done some theater when I was in high school and shortly thereafter, and then I'd gotten away from it. And when I went to Gainesville, I had no intention of getting back into performing. I was, uh, I was an English major and basically was just working my way through uh, working full time, going to college part time or vice versa, depending on which semester it was. Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up in a job with, with a, woman who owned a store who was a former dancer and her husband had money. They used to go to New York um, fairly frequently, five, six times a year to see shows. And we just started talking once and I told her that I had a theater background that I wasn't doing it any longer. And I just asked if she brought playbills in so I could read them because I always find playbills interesting. And uh, she was encouraging me to do theater. And I was said, no, I'm, you know, I'm over that. It wasn't, it wasn't the greatest experience in the DC area um, for me. And I, uh, I said, well, you know, the one way that I would do a show again is if anybody ever did 1776, I would do it. I would, or I would audition because it's my favorite show. I now have a 1776 tattoo. Um, And as I mentioned, my father worked at the White House and he was an electrician. He was, uh, he also did all the stage lighting for entertainment at the White House, uh, state dinners. Yeah, they sent him to Catholic University uh, to learn stuff. My dad, who dropped out of high school to go in the military and then went back and finished after the Second World War. But, uh, so he would bring home albums from entertainers that were there, Barbara Streisand albums, Robert Goulet albums, uh, Broadway show albums. And he brought the 1776 one, uh, album home. I was six years old. I, I loved the cover of the little eagle bursting out of the oh, egg. Yeah. I, it, that struck me initially. And uh, I remember vividly, like it was yesterday, it was a half century ago, my parents wouldn't let me stay up and listen to it that night. So I got up early the next morning and I went and I put it on and there hasn't been probably a three-month period in that 50 years that I haven't listened to that entire soundtrack through and through. Um, long story short, uh, too late. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I, they, for the 1988-89 season, when I was working at the store with, with the woman that I mentioned, um, she brought me their season, and the fall musical was 1776. Uh, and so, now, uh, kid. to quote Stephen Sondheim, opportunity is not a lengthy visitor, though I think that's mm-hmm. a James Lapine line from uh, Into the Woods. Um, I thought, well, you know, you said this, so maybe you ought to do what you said. Maybe you should audition because, you know, it'd be fun. And, uh, and so I did. I auditioned and got the role of John Adams and uh, then did, I think, seven plays in 18 months. <laughs> and at all the same time, it's 1989, 1990, MGM Studios, the artist formerly known as MGM Studios, mm-hmm. and Universal were opening, and there were a lot of opportunities for actors. So I came down here and I uh, to Orlando. Uh, I had a girlfriend in Orlando, so I'd come to Orlando quite a bit and go to Disney. She worked at Disney mm-hmm. in guest relations. And so I came down, started auditioning, and uh, 12 auditions later, I'm hired for a non speaking role at the horror makeup show at Universal, and that's where it started 30, 30 years ago. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, and horror makeup is where you met your lovely wife, the wonderful Jody Chase. I did indeed, yes. We, we met there. So that's my, that's my, how did I be, I kind of just lucked into being a performer uh, because the, somebody in Gainesville said, let's do a show with 26 men and two women, which don't, you don't get an awful lot in community theaters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it worked. And, and, and by the way, I won an award. Oh, did you? <laughs> best, best actor in a musical for the 1988-89 season. I always point out to everyone that I was a college student who beat out a plumber uh, uh, and an advertising executive. Those were the two other guys that were nominated. 
So, we don't do it for the awards. It's really about the work, really. Oh, the, the award is disturbing looking. I'll show it to you at some point in time. <laughs> it, 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 it appears to be a, a part of the male genitalia with, with a large boil. Oh, if wow. If you can picture it. Yes, the golden apple, it's called. Oh, I feel like I've heard that before. I've heard yeah, the I golden have to, apple before. It, but, Jody won't let me bring it in the house. It's in the garage on top of the hot water heater. <laughs> So. so among the list of credits, I so many people I introduce on the show as uh, they're an actor, they're an improviser, they're a funny person, they do musical theater. Uh, so, so many of us have the same skill set. I'm always particularly intrigued when there's an extra something a little bit outside the box or a little towards the edge of the box. And you are also, the best words I could describe is you're a sports guy. Yeah, and a lot of your work and your current podcast are all sports related. Talk to me about how you got into that. Um, I uh, I've always been a sports fan. I played sports in high school, played football, ran track. Um, I've just always been a sports guy and a theater guy. I was one of those weirdos. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, when they opened the ESPN Club at Disney's Boardwalk, I auditioned initially, and I was. Uh, basically just playing a pseudo sportscaster, but there, there was on camera stuff and everything, but mainly it was live for the crowd and do interviews and stuff. And I mm-hmm. thought it would be a good one for me. Audition got, uh, got cast as uh, a sub sort of built from there that uh, we did uh, the live shows. We did on camera stuff. We started doing radio shows. Mark uh, Ferrer and I have done a radio show locally, a couple of different iterations of a radio show. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing play-by-play for college basketball, college football on Sun Sports. It just just sort of fell into it, acting the role as a sports uh, broadcaster, which I don't consider myself a sports broadcaster, but my credits for that now are much deeper than my credits as an actor, which I would consider myself. And that happens so often in careers where you sort of fall into stuff and happy, sometimes happy accidents. Sometimes it's just a good match. It's, and that's great. I, Anytime an actor can have a little more of a, of a niche thing that they can go to, as opposed to you're just out there auditioning like the rest of us trying to get the same roles the rest of us are competing right. for. And that's great that you've got that extra thing. And in, in a sort of uh, professional partner, Mark Ferreira. God, what a great guy. He's a twin sons of different mothers. I got to get him on this show. We all work together at Horror Makeup, though you and I have never actually been on the stage together yet, hopefully soon. Yeah, I went away for a long time. and didn't come back until last year. Pick, picked a good time to come back, uh, the time yeah. where I'll never work at there yeah. again. Worked with Mark, want to get him on the show. Got you on the show, want to work with you. That needs to happen. There it is. Mm-hmm. There's synchronicity. We're, there we're, we're almost together at this point with the synchronicity of this whole thing. <laughs> and just a last word, tell me the name of your podcast and when and where people can find you. It's After Further Review with Mark Ferreira and John Pelkey, because there are a couple other After Further Review shows. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we, uh, we do two shows a week, Mondays and Fridays. Uh, it streams live on YouTube, so you can watch uh, my enormous bison head. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> I do. I have the head the size of a bison. Um, <laughs> or at least it looks that way on, uh, on any sort of video to me. And uh, it's also Apple Pi- uh, Podcasts, Google, wherever you get podcasts, we're available there. I don't know if we're on Spotify yet. It takes longer to get Spotify to. Well, I will post links in the show notes and on the website for this episode. I appreciate that. To share that. And like I said, my tens of listeners, not sure if it's the same audience, but you never know. Well, again, I sneak at least two Hamilton references into the show oh. uh, so that our producer now has a crawl if you watch it on, uh, on uh, YouTube. The minute I bring it up, he'll, there'll be a crawl. John talks about Hamilton. And yeah. a couple of our longtime <laughs> listeners in the comments will be like, uh, Hamilton reference, check. Ham- yep. Yes. So we're yeah, <laughs> yeah. We tried it. You know, Mark, Mark and I both. We've always said this. We most of our work is now in sports. But if I could play John Adams for the rest of my life, I'd I'd Yule Brenner mm. or uh, uh, Richard Harris that because I saw Richard Ted Harris King Arthur when he was like sixty. Yeah, I saw Ted Neely too uh, yeah. a number of years ago. Uh, <laughs> that would be what I would choose to do, and I think Mark would probably choose. He he'd pick something from Guys and Dolls or something and want to do that his whole life as well. Mm-hmm. So we've wow. we've given up this. This, this sports thing is just a means to an end, David. Well, I am so glad you were able to make the time and are joining me here on this show and this podcast. But, John, enough about you. We have to get back to Natalie and how she is coping with the death of her dad and why she isn't taking it better hours after they've put him into the fucking ground. <laughs> get over it, Nat. Jesus, girl. Don't you see but- you're upsetting Tootie? I know, exactly. You're, you're upsetting your friend by being so sad. Now, at the beginning of this uh, return from commercial, we do have a little bit that was cut from syndication, and it makes my heart hurt because we could have lost that shit at the beginning of the episode in, in lieu of losing this. This is where Mrs. Garrett has a little bonding moment with Mona. And as you pointed out, Molly Pecan is a titan of the Yiddish theater scene in the 1930s in New York City. She is a legend. And when she had been on the show before, there are quotes out there of Charlotte Ray saying, I'm trying to get these girls to understand how important (laughs) this woman is to the theater, to the Jewish people, and what an influence she was on my life and my career. So knowing all that baggage to see that there's a scene where they get to be together and act a little bit, you know it was a thrill for oh, Charlotte absolutely. Ray. And I wish it didn't have to end up on the cutting room floor before it uh, came to syndication. But it's simply the two of them talking about uh, having sons, about the fact that when you have sons, they're, they're so rough and tumble, how children have no sense of danger the way parents do, and how boys are especially like that. Yeah. They do divulge that it was a heart attack. We never really knew why Natalie's dad died. I assumed and, because, but again, that was not in the, the, the video that I was able to watch. Uh, yeah. I assumed that that was the case. And the irony is that he was a heart surgeon. <laughs> but then we do have a great moment where Mona says, it's a sin to have a parent outlive a child. And... So Mrs. Garrett hugs her. They share a tender moment. She says, do you need to go lie down? Let me help you over to the bedroom. And uh, we, we get just the tail end of it when we come back from commercial. And uh, like I said, I wish we could have had more of it. I encourage everyone, if you can get a hold of the DVD, 
uh, watch it because it's uh, it's a great little scenelet. And like I said, the extra background knowledge of knowing this was really a great uh, career high for Charlotte Ray to get to act with her. So then coming back from uh, the chopped up edited version, we do have some shtick of two women uh, who have both brought noodle pudding and them fighting over which noodle pudding is the better noodle pudding using Joe as their taste tester. And Joe is not really that thrilled with it. These characters are played by, it's Mrs. Block played by Edith Fields and Mrs. Kravitz played by Dana or Dana Hansen. Both very decorated character actresses, tons of credits. You've seen them in a million things. You cannot name one of them. <laughs> and the punchline, Joe says, what is this? The Pepsi challenge? Boy, talk about dating. 1984, oh ladies goodness. and gentlemen. Take the Pepsi challenge. People prefer the taste of Pepsi to Coke, two to one. Oh my God, so great. And by the way, I danced under the name Noodle Pudding in college. Uh, <laughs> that's where I can... That's... Um... Such an odd that could anything sound less or any two words, food words, less uh, appetizing together. Noodle pudding. I mean, honestly, what, where, where is that from? What is, you know, I, I'm assuming it's just a noodle casserole of some sort. I guess because a pudding, pudding is British for a, a, a dessert. Dessert. Yeah. So noodle in a dessert. Really? Yeah. Ugh. But no, you're right. So then uh, we come back to Natalie and. We do have an interesting moment where Tootie has an over-the-top moment, and it is so over-the-top that all the guests in the room turn, and all the heads go, boom, like, what the fuck? I think it's the line, yeah, where she says, Natalie, you're taking care of everybody, but who's going to take care of you? I have to give him credit for letting the background actors actually... Uh, react to it because you see in a lot of like old sitcoms and stuff where the background actors I guess are just directed never to just have their own little conversations going on and in the midst of situations like that where people are just being over the top they're not responding to it so I did appreciate that they all looked at her like somebody quiet her down for God's sake (laughs) you almost think the director might have been like maybe if I block it this way she'll get get the hint (laughs) maybe but um, clearly she didn't get it no And then they do refer back to, uh, Natalie says, oh, look, Tootie, it's a roll that looks like a flower, a begonia. To think 24 hours ago, that Founders Day float was the most important thing in our lives. Right, for like 40 seconds. Yeah, exactly. That's about how much we got of it. But boy, it it went to the top of the list of things that were important very quickly. (laughs) And, And I continue to reiterate, I thought to myself, yeah, and I'm glad I didn't have to watch that show, really. So people are starting to leave and mom asks Natalie to say goodbye to Dr. Perkins. The character is Dr. Stephen Perkins, who was a colleague of her dad's. I think actually he studied under him. They went. Yeah, um, it seems like he studied under him and then ended up working with him. Yeah. So, yeah, he did his residency under Dr. Green. And all I can picture is some producer somewhere uh, going, uh, look, uh, here's the thing. Uh, Greenberg, it's too Jewish. We need yeah. something. We need an Anglicanized <laughs> version of a Jewish name for a doctor. What yes. about Green? All right, go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Won't turn off middle America as much. <laughs> well, the actor who plays Dr. Perkins, uh, just it's not a very large role. His name is John Sheeran. 
and uh, he passed away in 2017 at the age of 73. He was on uh, a soap called The Doctors. You and I remember that from yes, we do. short-lived from 77 to 79. So he's played a doctor before. He was also on the Maverick reboot that they tried with James Garner called right. Brett Maverick in 81 to 82. And uh, that was an attempt to reboot the 1957 to 1962 successful show called Maverick. He was on The Young and the Restless in 1999. And then he went into academia at East Carolina University. There is a memorial page for him where he was, where he is listed as professor, director, and leader of the School of Theater and Dance for 27 years. Right. I, I have a lot of, I have a number of friends who went to East Carolina. And w- when I looked at his biography, I actually want to reach out to them and just, uh, and bring him up. My friend, Kevin Frady was, a, went to East Carolina, a number of uh, people that I know. So oh. that's a, that's a good, uh, theater school. Yeah. And so they, they very likely studied under him. Wow. Yeah, probably. Fascinating. Cause Kevin, I think was a dance major. He's another huh. one of those, uh, he's like me, you know, sports guy, musical theater. Kevin is a dancer and avid fisherman. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, don't get a lot of open mouth bass fishermen who are also ballet dancers. That's a really <laughs> limited skill set. Right that, there. A limited number of people with that skill set. Yeah. And you can take those skill sets all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> he is, I'm sure, a cabillionaire. He's made tens of dollars <laughs> as a ballet dancing fisherman. Yes. So I'm doing all this lead up with Dr. Dr. Um, Perkins because we do have a little weird moment here. They do some reminiscing, and he talks about the beat-up old briefcase that uh, Dr. Green was always known for carrying. And Mom, uh, her name is Evie, by the way, I assume short for Evelyn. And Evie pauses for a moment and says, I want you to have that briefcase. He would have wanted you to have it. I'm going to go get it. And he's like, oh, my goodness, that thank you. So she goes off, and Natalie is like, whoa, wait, what the fuck? And she upset goes after her mother. And then we have a short reaction scene to kind of what's happening right now, where Dr. Perkins and Joe are left behind and reacting to, oh, did something weird just happen? And in the rerun version, it's longer. It's a longer reaction. It's one of your um, Pinter moments. And I, I just can't help but sit there and watch it where he kind of looks at Joe and she looks at him and you almost half think he might go. So you single. Right. Right. Exactly. There there is this little, like, I think there's an icky moment here that may be about to happen. And thank God they cut before they do. Cause yeah. Yeah. Those, those, as I said, Pinter-like or Twin Peaks pauses. Are, there are a couple of those in this that are just like, ooh, yeah. mm, okay. I'm, I think you may have taken that about three seconds longer than you needed to. Yeah, and that's, this is the one instance where the reruns can help us because by trimming those out, that does give them the wiggle room to just you know, microscopically get it down to, okay, we're two seconds too long. Right. When we cut out this little half a scene, but we can trim those back. Maybe it's by design. Maybe it's just to fill the time they do it. Who knows? Well, then we go into the office. Uh, Mom, Mitzi Hogue, I have said before, I love her as an actress. I love her in this show. I love her work. I still think she's miscast. Yeah. I think she comes off too waspy. 
Yeah, this scene was the most interesting scene in the show for me because I, you know, at, just looking at it from a from an actor standpoint and full disclosure, I am not a film and tell I've done a little bit of stuff, but that's, you know, not where I come from. I come from stage. You and me so both. Stage it, or nothing. Yeah. yeah. It's a different it's a different animal uh and if people who are listening who aren't performers who it, there are people who are good at both things and I'm I'm not one of those. Um, <laughs> but uh there, I, I'm watching Mitzi Hogue during this entire scene, and I'm trying to see what she's using as her motivation for it, because to me, I, and and I agree, terrific actress, but there's 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 this sort of menacing undercurrent to what she's doing that I saw that oh. was that was uh, a, almost a, a little bit dismissive of of what Natalie was going through, and I swear my in my. <laughs> Because I don't know how Dr. Green has passed away because it's not in the episode I'm watching. I'm watching and I'm going, she's playing like she killed him. She's playing <laughs> like she did something. I, I swear, I'm like, there's something behind her eyes here mm-hmm. that's, that she's doing some really, and it's like, and I just like to think that she's just like, okay, I'm on the sitcom. I'm going to, I'm going I'm to do, I'm going to use this as, as the undercurrent uh, of what I'm doing. See if anybody oh picks up on it. I have to watch it again now. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's yes. Just watch her a couple of times. It's uh, and part of it is in the you know uh, it, and try. They're obviously getting to the point of you know. Listen, Natalie, we can't hold on to all of these things. Yeah, um, but but to our point, it's hours after they put him into the ground, and you're giving his stuff away. Yeah, I, you might uh, maybe mm. that conversation would be a little more nurturing than it tends yeah. to be. Yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm convinced he killed him. They're poisoning him. <laughs> Okay. I don't care what they say. <laughs> and, and what you're referring to is the fact that she does have a couple of those lines where clearly they're saying, okay, Natalie is, is kind of in this, this uh, mourning groove as the daughter, but the wife mourns in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so Natalie is starting to get kind of hysterical about it. She's like, you can't do it. You can't give away his stuff. And, she's, and the mother says well, he's not coming back to use them. And Natalie says, stop it. Stop saying that. And, and mom says, darling, your father is dead. It's a terrible thing, but it's what happened. And it's like, oh, this is the angle, the honey, I'm dealing with the reality of the situation. As particularly as the wife, you have so many details and decisions you have to make. Right. When a person dies, there's almost no time to be emotional like that she's gonna she's gonna crumble later very right. likely but she is in this more stoic mode but the good thing is as natalie continues to fall apart and honestly bravo mindy Cohn, as yeah. an untrained actress as just solid show, work uh, yes solid work even with the sort of cliched lines like he had no right how could he leave us like that what's going to happen to us i'm so scared what am i going to do without him these are all verbatim from the show but she handles it very well i think she does and then that does thank god soften the mother and she says baby it's going to be all right we are going to be all right and she hugs her and uh, they do have this sort of bonding moment where you're like, okay, at least there's some sense of them comforting each other while also mourning in their own specific ways. I was really surprised at the writer's choice to have her use the word dead because I yeah. could see where that was going and I, and I, I, I half expected it to, you know, he's, he's passed away. Something that's a little less finite. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, the choice of, to use that, you know, to, to kind of shock her back into, look, here, here's the reality of it. We're giving all of his stuff away because he's dead. Yes. As opposed to, you know, daddy's not coming back sort of thing. So that, that really did kind of surprise me. But I think it was probably a pretty good choice because it really did, to your point, give you insight into, look, mom is in the I've got stuff to do phase right now. Mm, All of yes. that softer, the poetry of this moment, we're in the prose of this moment now. We'll get to the poetry later. We're in the prose ah. moment. He's oh, dead. That's, that's, that's very great. That's a beautiful way to put it. Uh, so the rest of the episode, there's not really much going on here. It's really just kind of rigmarole of, well, it's done. Let's put the food away. We're going to head back. Mrs. Garrett we will take care of the store. I'll get our coats. Oh, I hope I don't have to have any more noodle pudding. And <laughs> yeah, so it's, there's not really a lot here other than at the end, um, uh, Tootie does say, I want you to be okay. And I want you to come back soon. So everything can be like it was. It's right. like, really, girl. <laughs> but then um, I, I forget who says, it takes time. Things will get better. I, I don't think it was Mrs. Garrett. I think I it was Joe. Actually. Might have been Joe, was, yeah. I think it was Joe. Yeah. And the last word is, Natalie says, well, I'll just have to take your word for that. And then she yeah. sort of steps forward, separate from the girls. This is a blocking choice, even though it is weird. I'm going to step forward with my back to you with facing a wall, I guess. And then it just silently freeze frames and then we roll the credits. Yeah. It's kind of a bummer. Not going to lie. It is, but it, it, I, again, I appreciated that they played that reality, that it wasn't a hug. Oh, thanks. What would I do without you guys? That yeah. sort of ending that, you know, you would, you would see in a, in a, in an, uh, your average sitcom, you know, yeah. it'll get better. Oh, Thank you, and you'll help me get there. Yeah. Whatever. I'm glad. I, I'm really glad I have you guys. Yeah, yeah. That just that, that seems. That's what I expected, and I'm, yeah. I'm glad and they didn't do that. Yeah, I, I expected that too. And had they gone there, I would have been. Yeah, yeah. That's what they did. Of course, I, right. it really wouldn't have surprised me at all, and it would have tied this episode up a little bit neater. And and the fact that it ends in this somewhat open ended, uncertain way. I'm glad to discover that it's because they still have more to do next week with it. And that episode is also written by Linda Marsh and Margie Peters. And, and it does also include the Miss Edibles contest. That's also the sort of B storyline. Anything else to add? Any other notes we want to send back to these writers? Not having watched the show in a long time and having only really watched the first couple of seasons, I expected something that was, that had a little bit more of a level of zaniness, even within oh. the, the context of a funeral show. Um, I expected a little more of the banter between the girls, a little more of the Joe Blair stuff. I, I thought they, I, I, again, I will give them credit for the limitations presented presented to you for an episode like this. I thought they did a nice job weaving in some really good, to, to the point we talked about, some, some great information about like a, how this is a Jewish funeral is different, mm -hmm. and then folded in comedy uh, on top of that as well. Yeah, organically, without yeah, it feeling yeah. imposed or... The comedy didn't seem forced. What did seem forced were some of the over-emotional moments, particularly yeah. from Tootie. That yeah. really seemed a bit forced. Yeah, no, I, and I don't know I, if that's Kim Fields' fault necessarily, or probably a combination of all of these things. I, I think so. Yeah, 
And yeah, we've talked about some of these over-the-top moments for 2D and just the general loudness. Remember Mackenzie Phillips on One Day at a Time? Indeed, yeah. In one of the reunion specials that they did, you know, around the turn of the millennium, uh, they did a reunion thing. And Mackenzie Phillips turned to the others and said, God, was there ever a time I wasn't shouting? Like, even Sheep was like, wow, in hindsight, looking at her own performance. And I, I wonder if Kim Fields well, has similar thoughts. And you, and, but you made a great point. You know, as a stage actor, it's like you, you're, you're playing to the back of the house. And mm-hmm. when you're on that static set like that, that type mm-hmm. of three-camera shoot, how they do you, I could see where that would be your inclination. Yeah, because there is know, an I'm, audience there, and they're yes. quite a distance away because yeah. they're behind the cameras. I'm and... playing in a small theater and I need to make sure they can hear me at the back of the house. But that's yeah. where I would say to Assad Kalada, <laughs> if he wants to take notes from, uh, you know, a, a, an unemployed theme park actor and sometimes sports broadcaster, I think I'd have pulled her back a little bit. I think <laughs> I'd have done something to pull Just that a back bit. a little bit. Yeah, because uh, over the course of her career, there is no question that she is a talented actress. But sure. none of... None of us can say everything we've done is a home run. We have our <laughs> our, our range of competency. Yeah, in I moments. doubt if they asked you know Kim Fields' favorite five favorite episodes of Facts of Life. This probably would not fit into <laughs> what she would consider her five favorite episodes of, of the of the. Very thing. true. But overall, I will say, and and just in, in wrapping for me, overall, I will say, um, I appreciate them dealing with the subject matter that they did, uh, and I generally uh, appreciated the way they dealt with it with you know with the exception obviously of what we were just talking about but I thought they took something that was really really difficult they were able to still be able to say this is a sitcom because there are funny moments and there are those moments but we're uh, we're kind of up in the ante a little bit here yeah we're, we're the, the stakes are higher in this episode than than in some of the others and yeah. i always appreciate when somebody raises the stakes whether i think they reach the heights they're going for or not i think mm. it's important as performers and as artists to try to try to raise the stakes a little bit and they certainly did so we'll yes. see we'll see how does natalie deal with her father's <laughs> loss moving forward stay tuned for is the edible week. float a good idea will it be <laughs> devoured by stray cats <laughs> Well, from what I've seen so far, the float is not the thing. It's the Miss Edible contest that carries over, which is, I think, a a good idea. Yeah. So, John, the last thing I like to do before I uh, send you on your way, we like to end the show on an up note, uh, just randomly off the top of your head. Name a classic commercial from your childhood. Oh, easy. The Mikey Life Cereal commercial. Okay. That's a big one. It's... You know, I loved Life Cereal, mm-hmm. and it became, you know, it became a, 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 a catchphrase. What's this stuff? Some new cereal supposed to be good for you. Did you try it? I'm, I'm not, not going to try, try it. it. You try uh, it. Now I'm I remember. I'm not going to try it. Let's Mikey. get Mikey. And then they put it for, and am I right? Even as a kid, I remember thinking, does this logistically make sense? I'm not going to try it. You try it. I'm not going to try it. Let's get Mikey because he won't eat it. He hates everything. Yeah, it's So the solution to our not trying the cereal is to pawn it off onto a third child whom we believe will also not try it. So what have we learned? We've learned nothing. I, I think that it may have disconnected many brain synapses Perhaps. in my youth. I have to re-question 
I have to question myself now as to why <laughs> why I remember it. You know, I, I I didn't I didn't realize the depths that uh, that I needed to mine to figure out. Well, this just doesn't make sense. Of exactly, he's not going to like it. But it's he won't eat it. He hates everything. And then he starts. <gasps> he likes it. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Mikey. So it, it's like okay, uh, when children won't eat cereal, find me a kid that won't eat a bowl of cereal. Come on, come on. <laughs> exactly. But, well, but the, the, you know, I, I will, the, it's good for you. Uh, there, there was in, right. in your childhood where anything that was good for you, because my mom, uh, God love her. She's got on a health kick very, very early on for food. So I didn't get sugared cereals. Oh, uh, at oh. all. That, that qualifies as child abuse. And yep, I never sorry. did. And, it, you know, if the, the rare times I would ever talk her into one, she would monitor how many times I would eat it in a week. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think maybe it sticks with me because life was a cereal that was good for you that I liked and still do. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Mikey. Thank you for showing us that cereal that kids wouldn't want to eat can be eaten pleasurably. Yeah. The hell with your brothers, with a couple I... of weirdos. <laughs> Well, John, thank you so much for being on the show. I hope you had fun. I hope we're able to do it again soon. Tell your wife that I will be coming back and harassing her to return to the show very, very soon. Excellent. And I will post information about your podcast and hope that maybe you might gain a listener or or half a listener or something like that. We, we do talk about things other than sports. You do. We, we, okay, we do good to know. That. Thank you again so much, John. Smooches and goodbye. All right, Dave. Bye. Take care. Mwah. And there you have it. That was John Pelkey. Check out the show notes, and I will put a link in there to get you to his not-completely-sports-themed show after further review with Mark Ferreira and John Pelkey. Now, the only thing I didn't get to mention in this episode that I meant to say was that we did meet Natalie's dad. We did see him two years prior to this episode in Season 3, Episode 17, called The Affair. And uh, that was the one where Natalie caught him cheating on her mom. But um, the actor who played him was Norman Burton best known, to me anyway, as Joe Atkinson on The New Adventures of Wonder Woman, also known as Seasons 2 and 3 of the Linda Carter Wonder Woman series. That's it, really. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 5, Episode 18, Big Fish, Little Fish, uh, or you might call it A Death in the Family Part 2, because it does kind of continue uh, some of the stuff that we started here. My very special guest is going to be actress and funny lady Maria Reagan. And you can watch the episode for free at dailymotion.com. I'll post the link in the show notes, and you can also find it at this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And remember, the facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Our website is facethefactspod.com. You have to drop the let's. And that's where you can find extra pictures, video, and audio extras from the digital cutting room floor. 
Follow the show on social media. We're everywhere under the handle Face the Facts Pod. You can become a patron of the show by going to patreon.com slash face the facts pod. And don't forget, go to your favorite podcatchers and subscribe, rate, and review. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. Let's Face the Facts.